you're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. For one night and one night only, we are back from the dead. <laughs> I really thought you were going to go the Donna and the Dynamos direction here. No, I mean, I do feel like, I mean, like you and I are like, Mamma Mia stands. First and foremost. First and foremost. I'm a Mamma Mia stand (laughs) first and a person second. Um, I'm sure our listeners are too. But no, I mean, like, I think we can't go like a day without getting a like you guys are dead tweet currently. Yeah, let's dig out the Ouija boards. Let's do. Ha 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 ha. Okay. Is the joke (laughs) funny? Yes. Yes. Is it old? Yeah. Are we dead? No. no. We're alive right now. We resurrected ourselves. <laughs> For one night. Yeah, there was like a Lazarinthian rising. I don't know if that's a real word, but if it isn't, it really should be. I, La- well, Lazarinthian. Lazarinian? I don't know. I, I legitimately don't know. <laughs> it's the Christmas season. We're pulling a Jesus. We're pulling a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, we're back. Mm-hmm. We are not discussing Mamma Mia. You and I. No. Are discussing something starring the the Teen Wolf King. The Teen Wolf King. Dylan O'Brien. Because this is the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And we're not actually talking about Teen Wolf. We did run out of that until, you know, further notice. We are talking about Love and Monsters, a 2020 pandemic release, which I actually did cover in our newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um... But we're talking about it in a full bonus episode, thanks to our wonderful listener, Rachel, who won our Christmas raffle, holiday raffle, whatever raffle mm-hmm. to pick our final bonus episode. Um, thank you so much to everybody who donated. We are going to be posting receipts of our donation by the end of this week in case anybody else wants to pop in and, you know, do one just for, so for fun, good spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, we are incredibly thankful. We're really passionate about, you know, being kind to the neighborhood that we live in. And this is something that we feel like is a really good option. We will obviously be padding the donation with our own money. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you to everybody who donated. Uh, I'm sorry if you didn't win, but it turns out that Rachel picked an incredibly <laughs> popular option. Everybody seemed very excited on Twitter. So I think you and I are excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, I'm excited that other people are excited. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we did. We have both watched this. Mm-hmm. We did not watch it together. No. Um, and I was just sort of like, yeah, it's totally entertaining. Cute. Totally cute. I watched it with my friend Sam, who at the time was just starting his Teen Wolf journey. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of like, yeah, Dylan O'Brien can lead a movie. He really can. Um, and he does so much of this movie just like talking to a dog or a robot or himself. Yeah. And it's so unbelievably charming. I would love to see how many pages this screenplay actually is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was a great time. We're excited to dig into it. Uh, it does come uh, sort of like, I it, partially incidental, like obviously this movie was filmed in 2019 and was, you know, mm-hmm. s- scheduled, it did pre-prod even before that. So it just, it does kind of come into like this weird chunk of, of movies that were all scheduled to be released in 2020 that were about, like, the apocalypse, (laughs) which, you know, as you remember, 2020 was the beginning of the apocalypse. Somebody tweeted at us talking about how they were listening to episodes from season two, which would have been, like, pre-pandemic. No, no, no. Uh, we we were halfway through season two before we went into quarantine. Oh, that's so crazy. I know. 
banana <laughs> pants, right? So nuts. Um, yeah, I can't believe that. And like this movie, and I was reading about it, it was like supposed to be released in theaters. It was supposed to be kind of a big thing, and it was one of the movies that kind of got pushed to um, release on demand. And that's great. I'm so glad that people were able to watch it. I I almost wish they had waited, mm-hmm. but the problem was with like that early pandemic release schedule, you really had no idea when we were going to be able to open theaters again. And like theaters have since been open for like a year, mm-hmm. basically. Um, I mean, it's still kind of strange to be in them. I'm I'm wearing the mask. Oh yeah, um, constantly. Yeah, but there was no predicting when it could have come out. So obviously they you know did it when they thought was going to be. They did it in the way that they thought was going to be most advantageous as like a lot of movies got VOD release at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think it could have had like a pretty fun little successful run. I think so. It would have been a great summer release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, one, uh, of course, obviously a movie that you could compare this to is Zombieland, which is a movie that I like really, really love. Uh-huh. Um, and it's so much fun and not something that you think that you would really enjoy, but it's so popular and it has such like a cult following. Yeah. I mean, Zombieland <laughs> did get a sequel. <laughs> Because it's really good. Yeah. Um, and I think that this could have had that kind of moment. I think people really want a sequel to it, which would be super interesting if it actually did get some sort of like wider release. I don't see a sequel being as successful. Uh, me neither. But hey, you know what? Whatever pays Dylan O'Brien's rent. You truly, truly never know. Actually, I feel like the amount of times that we've had to watch <laughs> Teen Wolf related things, we're paying Dylan O'Brien's rent personally. You're welcome. You're welcome, Dylan. Um, for as repayment, you can come on the podcast. Um, anyway, so before we get too deep into this, we have to go back to our roots, you know? We have to do the one part of the podcast that gives probably half of our listeners a heart attack and the other half just skip it because it's so... When I listen back. I skip it. I can't uh can't listen to myself be that panicked. But we do have to do a recap of Love and Monsters. We do not have to be timed this time, but we are racing against each other to see who can sum up this movie in the the shortest amount of time. The fastest, yes. So, Julia, Mm -hmm. um, should, should we... Keep it old school. Should we do a rock, paper, scissors? Yeah. yeah uh huh. Um, All right. That ready? Is so thrilling. It's so us. us. <laughs> okay. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> For once, um, me being predictable really worked out. Yeah. Uh, congrats. Uh-huh. Christian won. I won. Um, so that means that I have to go first in yes. recapping this movie. My rock to her scissors. I finally did it on the last <laughs> bonus episode. It took me this long. But hey. That's a real triumph. I made I it. Say. In the next projects, which we're launching soon, mm-hmm. no rock, paper, scissors. We're going to do like a randomizer, like the tiny decisions button app thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We cannot let my stupidity affect how often I have to go first but Julia you are going first you are going to sum up you're going to you know give us the the plot summary you're going to do a little synopsis of love and monsters um you can vamp for time while I pull up the timer (laughs) uh every time I think about that I just think about um being in the bridges of Madison County because you have to vamp the whole time because it's a musical that's sung entirely through and you're just like, oh, but they could keep vamping. Uh-huh. They could keep vamping. And I would just listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Just bump it. Uh-huh. It's great. It's an operetta. It is. In yes. fact. 
That's yeah. what that's called. Exactly. Little, <laughs> little uh, theater Little tri- theater trivia for our listeners. A Phantom of the Opera is also an operetta. Um, so, I've got the timer. Mm-hmm. We did a little bit of drama- <laughs> dramaturge. <laughs> and now you are on the clock. Ready, set, go. Okay, so a little while ago, this asteroid came towards Earth, and uh, everybody sent up missiles to um, smoke it, but then all the chemicals came down and transformed all of uh, these creatures into big, huge monsters, and so they lost 95% of the human population. And Joel, our main character, tried to escape with his family, um, but his parents died. He got taken in by this colony, and he is just kind of sad because, like everybody else, has a soulmate, and he doesn't really, so he decides that he's going to go up on the surface to go find um, this girl that he was in love with when he was 17. Her name is Amy, and she lives like by the ocean. And he's like, oh my god, it's going to take seven days. No one's ever survived that long and he um does it and he finds a dog that becomes his best friend named boy and then he meets these two people who are living on the surface minnow and some other guy and they kind of teach him all their little special skills and he like makes it and that's like so impressive because he has this problem where he freezes and he also um draws all of the monsters and like all of the ways that they can be killed and he makes it to the um beach and amy's like oh it's so good to see you but i I didn't think you were actually going to come here and meanwhile there are these um blonde australian people who are like we're going to take you to another safe place but it turns out that they're just big fat liars who came to steal their food and uh they bring up their big giant crab and joel manages to save them because he knows that the crab is not actually evil he makes it back to his own colony and then they all decide that they're going to go up to the mountains um the end Good job. Thank you. One thir- like, <laughs> one thirteen, which is really good. I feel like I got most of it. I think um, you did too. I will say cool. it's pretty pretty simple movie. Pretty straightforward. And it's like, you know, it's funny because it is sort of like an action adventure movie. It's very dialogue heavy because it's just sort of Joel talking to the dog. And like mm-hmm. that's not exactly like plot points, you yeah. know? Joel talks to the dog. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I um, love Boy. He's my favorite character. Yeah. Except for Mavis, maybe. <laughs> With an a one. Oh, with a and one. not an I. Yes. Okay. Are you ready no. to do your best? No. Stop asking. Like, we did that whole podcast and you have the audacity. <laughs> the audacity. The audacity. Yeah. Um, the unmitigated gall. <laughs> oh, the grink. Um, anyway, <laughs> I am going to start the timer in three, two, one. One. So the apocalypse hits because the U.S. tried to bomb an asteroid and then a bunch of chemicals fall and there's monsters everywhere. And then Joel's in this colony where he's lived for seven years and he's all alone. But he has this high school girlfriend who he's just recently contacted on the radio. And he's like, I feel like he doesn't have any purpose in his colony. So he's like, no, I'm going to go find her. And they're like, oh, you're a weakling. And he's like, no, I can do it. So he goes to the surface and then he almost gets attacked by a, he almost dies because a frog kills him. But he meets a dog named Boy. And then when he's with Boy, they're trying to survive. And then they meet these two survivalist names, Clyde and Minnow. And then Minnow and Clyde teach uh, him all of these tricks. And they're like, we're going to the mountain. You should go with us. And he's like, no, I'm really trying to go find my girlfriend. And they're like, you should really stay with us. And he's like, no, no, no. And they, they tell him he's on a fool's errand, which yeah, he totally is. And then they go to the mountains and they separate. And then Joel makes it to the beach after having a run in with a Mavis and like doing some catharsis and like saying, you know, goodbye to his mom officially or whatever. And then um, when he gets to the beach, he sees Amy and Amy's like, yeah, I didn't actually think you were going to come because it's been like seven years. And like, did you really have this like fantasy in your head? And he's like, oh my God, I should have asked you if I should have come. But meanwhile, there's this Australian guy who's like, oh yeah, I was in the Navy and like, I'm going to rescue all these. But then Joel figures out really quickly that he's lying because Joel has learned all of these things about the monsters on the surface with his time with Clyde Minnow and he's kept a guidebook that he's like the guide to monsters or whatever volume one and so he tries to warn everybody and then the pirates um like kid like basically tie everybody up and get them all really drunk and then the next morning you realize that they're like literal actual pirates who have a crab that's driving their giant crab that's driving their yacht and then Joel who like now knows how to spot the good monsters from the bad monsters realizes the crab is not actually evil and he sets him free from the like electro trap and then the crab kills all of the pirates and then um 
uh, uh, Joel goes back to his colony because he's learned, like, Scott has earned the power of self-respect, and then he <laughs> takes them to the mountains. A minute 38. Okay. Good detail. Thank you. You remembered Clyde's name. I did. So, that's great. I wrote it down so I would not forget. I really, <laughs> really quickly realized I was not going to lap you in time, so I just had to make up for it in, like, detail exposition basically yeah yeah no i think i think it rocks and editorialism (laughs) what is the teen wolf rewolf yeah without a little bit of commentary you know just a little bit no one is here for like objectivity right like nobody's here for us being like taking a step back no i'm invested that's why i have the podcast i'm i'm in the mud literally yeah i'm in literal mud i'm not i'm sitting on a table a swamp a swamp yes um so in all true bonus episode fashion we are going to start by talking about what works about this movie julia take it away tell me what you like um i think this movie looks really good set deck and design i will say i don't love the costuming but pretty much every other visual thing outside of cgi i -hmm. think is so compelling it's really compelling it's super thoughtful um and you know because i had the benefit of having watched this for the second time i was like paying a little bit more attention i think um and when joel is like running away with his family at the um in the flashback he's like holding onto this chandelier and then right after that um you see that he's been able to hang up the chandelier in his bunker and it's like all of these wonderful little bits of attention to detail that spread throughout the whole movie Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is like really practical effect it feels very lush and very much like the world has been left alone Mm -hmm. um except to be inhabited by giant terrifying creatures for seven years um like it is so thoughtful and real and kind of tactile i would say i totally agree and what you kind of have with like a um like it's defining like factor away from like when you you earlier con- compared it to like Zombieland is that like they say at the very beginning of the movie that ninety five percent of the world's population dies in the first year mm-hmm. and it's not like that there's like zombies running around to like mess stuff up right mm-hmm. it's just gone it's empty and it's sort of like a I don't love when people are like the like re- let the earth return to its natural whatever because that's like eco-fascist bullshit but yeah. like i think that's sort of the point of this movie is that we, you can exist you, we can coexist with nature um yeah. but because it is so clear about how quickly everything is sort of eradicated and like how quickly nature takes back over it does sort of look like everything has been untouched but overgrown mm-hmm. and i think that that's really good like the moss and the sort of like hives and like the honey it feels like there's like bug honeycomb everywhere and like Mm -hmm. like yeah it it does sort of look slightly jurassic a little bit and also alien but in a way that is still really recognizably earth which i think is really good oh yeah and i think part of what helps with that is that there's a lot of like ruins and what i find fascinating about that is that most of the ruins are like really normal looking houses or like trailers and buses Mm -hmm. because you know they're they move and they clearly would have been a way for people to get uh, out of wherever they were. So of course that would be like what Joel comes upon in his journey. Um, it's so cool. Like there's remnants of fences with like graffiti on them. Um, it's amazing. And like one of the conclusions that Joel comes to at kind of the end of the movie is that it's not worth cowering underground 
anymore because the surface is like so much more than just monsters. And I think the production design really helps you to kind of feel why he feels that way. Yeah, I I agree. You know, it's funny, like sort of in like a sort of like existential way. It's like in our earliest forms of being human, we were met like we lived amongst giant creatures Mm -hmm. like mammoths and ground sloths and whatever. You know? Yeah, now we only have the moose. Really? Moose are so terrifying. Megafauna. Megafauna. Like they're huge. They, yeah. And elephants, I feel but like. But elephants are like, elephants like people and they're very mm-hmm. empathetic and they're very intelligent. Whereas if you see a moose, you're already dead. Yeah, you're like, I don't know how to, I can't handle I this. I feel like we've had the moose conversation. We sure have. It, yeah, they're, they're just terrifying. Just, yeah, if you live in Canada, <laughs> Godspeed. Um, yeah, this movie focuses pretty heavily on like reptiles, so you don't get to see a giant mutant moose. No, but that would have been They very specifically like delineate between the fact that only cold-blooded creatures, mm-hmm. which I didn't actually catch on the first time. So Me I was neither. like, hmm, how did Boy not make it to be a giant animal? I kept on waiting for like Boy to have powers or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but watching it the second time, they do specify that it is like bugs and amphibians mm-hmm. and reptiles. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I think the design is great. I do wish that, like, I understand that it would have been incredibly difficult to be able um, to do all of the creatures, practically. Mm -hmm. I could have used more puppets. Yeah, I love puppets. I love puppets. I love puppets. Why does anyone like the original Star Wars movies? (laughs) Come on. Puppets. Um, you know, it doesn't look, they don't look bad, but they also... They look CGI. They look CGI. They look kind of out of place. Um, and I, maybe it works within the context of the world that they are so far from what they were originally that they look fake. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you can you can kind of give it a pass on that, I think. But um, given how thoughtful so many other aspects of the production are, I think it would have been so cool to have seen more practical effect on the animals. I agree. Um, And, you know, going back to what you were saying about like the houses and the buses and stuff, I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of effective that this movie very clearly is supposed to take place in California, probably Mm -hmm. like given the mountains and the fauna, like Bay area, California, basically. Yeah. And, you know, you see those buses and it's sort of like referential to like, California hippie culture and Mm -hmm. like the way that people would have had to have if like you were in an apocalyptic situation people would have had to like live communally and that's what's happening amongst all of these colonies and I thought that that was a nice detail I agree Mm -hmm. um dude so much of this movie takes place during the day it's amazing everything I can see everything (laughs) I can see everything somebody was screen capping like the spider-man one I promise there's a point here. And they're like, do you remember when you used to be able to see what was happening in movies? Because Mm -hmm. like, if you look at any other action adventure thing, and this is not really a call out at Marvel, except it is, they look like shit. You can't see what's happening. And you really like, part of the reason why you, part of the reason why I noticed the CGI is because I can see everything as clear as day in these movies. And it's so, I would rather be slightly be like, "Mm, that looks a little bit fake, but be able to see the action happening than being like, yeah, I can't see anything. So I guess it looks fine. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate... I think... You mentioned the lighting in the Mavis scene, too. Oh, About how just... the... Like, because the Mavis is the lighting source in that scene, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful to see it as a spotlight on Dylan O'Brien. Yeah, well, and there's even a moment... It's, like, 
so quick. You, you like stop paying attention for a moment and you'll miss it. But at one point, like there's a light on his face and it goes dark because Mavis blinked mm. and it's just so good and it's so intentional and um you know it, it, it's so cool to see different kinds of light sources in this apocalyptic world where you're like you're not sure what you're gonna get I think there's a like suspicious lack of fire well we get fire on the surface we get it mm-hmm. we get it both with Clyde and Minnow and we get it at the old person colony yeah what what beach is it Jenner, Jenner beach. beach Jenner beach but that I actually think is a good sort of um like dichotomy between what we're used to in the first part of the movie which is like basically their whole bunker is lit by Christmas lights you know they probably have to crank their own electricity down there mm-hmm. and so what's great is that the first thing that we're exposed to is natural light and then all of a sudden the absence of artificial light. So that's when we have the fire. So I do mm-hmm. actually think it's sort of a good way that it's set up. Yeah. I mean, it, it all looks really good. Yeah. Um, it feels, this movie feels really tactile. That's it does feel tactile. It's good. I, it, yeah. I also like, there's a couple of moments that are, are like with monsters that aren't CGI where you can sort of feel the slime and you're mm-hmm. like, mm, gross. I want to touch it. Uh-huh. Disgusting. I am, as you know, a very mm-hmm. olfactory person. Yes. So I will just smell anything. Yeah. I don't know why that's the way I learn about the world, but I want to smell everything in this movie. I want to, I'm, a, I love to touch things. Yeah. You're tactile. Yeah. I'm very tactile. I love like when I'm baking and you like, you've washed your hands and like everything's all set. Like putting your hand in a thing of flour. Oh, it's no. just the best. Oh it's God, best. I do not like that. It's so great. I just want to touch everything. Uh, yeah. I so touch it. I and I feel like this is a very sensor like sensory movie. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and part of that is because Joel has been like deprived of oh, sensory. Totally. Experience. Yeah. I mean, living down there is like sort of. A, it, I wish that there had been a little bit, and like this is not quite the movie to go through that. Mm-hmm. But I wish there had been a little bit more of like. I'm not used to the light. It would have really been painful to step into the direct sunlight for the first time. He shouldn't have gotten, he should have gotten like horrifically sunburned, you know? Yeah. And he didn't even have sunglasses. He didn't even, he didn't even, he didn't even have sunglasses. They don't even have dental. <laughs> Can't live without sunglasses. Yeah. So I, as much mm-hmm. as I felt like it was tactile and I also, again, this isn't quite the story it was telling. I do wish we engaged a little bit more with what Joel was feeling on a sensory level, mm-hmm. not him getting high from the slugs. <laughs> Which was fun. Great. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. What else works about this movie? Um, well, we've been talking about Joel a lot, so I think we could be talking about the cast, which I think in general is just stellar. Um, we have extolled the many, many virtues of Dylan O'Brien as an actor before on this year, Teen Wolf Free Wolf. Can I say something that might get me absolutely crucified? Oh, I was, I was waiting to see if you would. Well, I just, okay. I really, I will be honest because we do not really closely follow the, the, the careers of the cast of Mm -hmm. Teen Wolf. Which that's already sacrilege, I think, for some of our <laughs> listeners. I haven't seen a bunch of, of things that Dylan O'Brien has done. I think I caught like a little bit of the Maze Runner because I did read the book in high school. Mm-hmm. But this felt really close to Styles, yeah. and I I am sitting here being like, I hope that he doesn't get caught in this loop because it's not. I don't. It would be really shitty to be like one trick pony. Clearly, this guy can do other things. Like he's incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Joel was really close 
to something that is comfortable for Dylan O'Brien. Yeah. Which is ultimately really great for the purpose of the movie, but I wish that he had been challenged slightly more because I know he can take on the challenge. Um, I totally agree. Um, and I mean, we're going to talk about this in what doesn't work, but I think that there could have been a lot more, uh, depth to the emotional beats of this movie. And we know that Dylan O'Brien can pull that off. Um, yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, but I think he is so delightful and it, again, we mentioned earlier that he spends so much of his time just like alone on screen with the dog or with the robot. Um, and he's just so charismatic that it really works. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, Ariana Greenblatt, who plays Minnow, is just so stinking cute. What an adore. She's going to have a real, if she, and like, she's young now, so I don't want to mm-hmm. be like, she's going to be a powerhouse. But like, I think she could carve out a really good niche for herself in, you know, the entertainment industry. And I think that she clearly has like sort of little kid, like unbridled, like really earnest and like impulsive decisions and talent. Mm-hmm. I would love to see where she goes as she gets older because I thought she was so fun. I agree. She has a wonderful presence and clearly like wasn't intimidated working with Dylan O'Brien and like these older actors. Yeah, and she's the youngest person we see on screen the yeah. whole time. And it has really good repartee with both uh, the actor who plays Clyde and Dylan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really great. Um, everybody seems very well cast in their roles. Um... Yeah, I mean, we really only have four characters, basically. Mm-hmm. Five if you count Australia, man. Cap. Cap, yeah. Blondie. Um, And I do think that, like, it is, it's very well cast. Although you kept being like, you wish Clyde was played by Woody Harrelson, but that is just the zombie It is land just zombie effect. land. Yeah. Um, because this movie just like sits so close i mean and i think that and we're gonna talk about like the referential stuff because Mm -hmm. referential is goes both going to be a point of things we like but also lead us into the discussion of things we don't um so i mean we 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 will dig into that further um but yeah i mean the entire cast is super competent uh even the dog that plays boy i did not look at the dog's name i feel horrific about that there are two dogs one of them is named hero Keep talking, oh, I'll so figure out what the cute. other one is. Yeah, I mean, like... Hero it, and Dodge. Hero and Dodge. Yeah. I love when you... Like, I'm pretty sure the dog that played Max in The Grinch, I think her name was Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and that was a really good dog actor. It, yeah. Yeah. Just so much so much excellent screen presence. Yes. The dog that plays all of the versions of uh, Marley and Marley and Me. A great dog actor. Never seen it. I mean... You know what happens. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Not a surprise. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and I think it's, I think it's really annoying. Bear with me. I think it's really annoying when movies try to be like, oh God, why am I talking out loud to a dog? You mean like people do? You mean like, like people with pets do? When you're alone in your house and the only person with you is your pet and you're like, when I'm alone in this apartment and there's <laughs> no one around, I'm having full-blown conversations with who knows the ghost this apartment's haunted very haunted yeah yeah um i i think the dog is great yes i think the dog is great super fun and yeah i mean pretty much everyone is fun even when it feels a little bit like sort of obvious like i think cap being this like handsome strapping australian with a giant shark tooth around his neck is a little bit like sort mm-hmm. of obvious yeah. obviousness <laughs> is something that actually does sort of bother me about this mm-hmm. movie but we'll get there um you know what else? Hmm. I like the music in this movie. Yes. I think 
one of my biggest complaints about a lot of contemporary films that are geared towards a younger audience and I don't mean kids but I do mean like teenagers is that there's a lack of specificity in the music mm-hmm. um and like the bit where Mavis is playing Stand By Me. Which is obviously a reference because this movie is very referential to Stand By Me, a movie that I love. Yes. But, you know. But it's it's so good. And there are a lot of moments where, like, the music kicks in and you're like, this sounds just so familiar. It, like, I really dig it in what's happening right here, right now. It doesn't overly rely on music and a score to make you feel things, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of a, is a strength. Well, I think the most obvious, like, I think the only example of that I would say is the Mavis scene. And I do mm-hmm. want to just do a quick sidebar about the Mavis thing. I love the Mavis because I said this too while we were watching. We are in a sort of like post-apocalyptic world where everything changed because the animals mutated, right? Mm-hmm. That's our big moment of like, differentiating from reality Mm -hmm. but somehow even though that whole monster thing happened in what was clearly like the late 2010s there's all of a sudden sentient robots who have like emotional capability Mm -hmm. and that's like a really beautiful piece of like magical realism that we're never explained what the mavis was for it it doesn't seem to be a symptom of the you know, apocalypse mm-hmm. of this like crazy, you know, epidemic of pandemic of monsters taking over. They just exist. And it's really just there to be a reflection for sort of Joel's own feelings. So when Mavis is like, would you like to hear a song and then play stand by me? It's a little bit more like Joel has said, would you play this for me? A little. Yeah. And I, I really think that scene is great. I love it. I, I especially love that Mavis looks, um, like a kind of a retro future robot oh yeah very Um, jetsons yeah she doesn't look like what we would consider to be a robot now like her her, i mean her face looks like an old-timey tube tv like it's Mm -hmm. it's so good and it's so specific and i love i love the the continuity of like well they had a mavis unit in his bunker that didn't work and he gets to meet like a real live working one that nobody else has been able to see because none of them work anymore. Like that is just a, a beautiful moment of, of what you said of, of it being magical realism. Like it's just mm-hmm. a delight. Um, you know what else works about this movie? Hmm. Even though there's parts that I want to be grittier or dig deeper, the script like clips, it's really well paced. It's tight. Um, I at no point was like checking my watch. No, watching this movie, which is funny for especially for a second time watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my metaphorical watch that I don't actually wear. It's under two. Phone. It's under two hours, which helps. But it's not like a ninety-minute movie. No, but like it's very close. It's an hour forty-eight. Yeah, most movies should be under two hours. Yes. Yeah, and like this. I mean, this movie has very clear acts. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie is very intentional. You know. Mm-hmm. I think it sets out to do what it wants to in every section. It's very clearly a hero's journey. And we sort of can pinpoint all of the big pieces of Joel's growth as we go through it. Um, but yeah, it it hustles, you know? Mm-hmm. We could spend a lot more time... Like, as much as I really like Clyde and Minnow, a sort of, like, more bogged down script would, would have, like, these scenes of them being like, wow, I hope Joel is okay. And to not see them until the end, just knowing they've made it, mm-hmm. is... That's all I needed, right? Yeah, I, it would have been a real distraction from the emotional arc that builds when Joel gets to Amy's colony mm-hmm. to keep cutting back to them. I think it was really smart to just leave them out until the very end. Yeah. 
Um, or even like we don't we don't get any flashbacks to Joel's old colony, which I kind of wish we did. I do wish that we had more specific emotional relationships with those people, even if it was just one or two of them. But like because we kind of cut them off right at the beginning, we're not bogged down by flashbacks of them or even clips of them being like, wow, I hope Joel is OK, because we as we know, Joel, we know that people feel strongly about him and like him. So, of course, people are thinking that you don't need to make it that. You don't need to hit us over the head with it. Like, yeah, I also hope Joel's okay. Yeah. Well, and then there's that great moment where he gets to talk to them over the radio and they're so relieved that he made really it. Really sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. Um, we do. And it's like, we do get those moments of emotional fulfillment, but it's very clean is what I would, how I would describe it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how referential it is. So clearly, clearly builds on Zombieland. Mm-hmm. And as I said to you Previously, this is the kids' Bob version of I Am Legend. Yeah, down absolutely. to the down to the dog. <laughs> you have to have a dog at the end of the world. You have to, obviously. Yeah. I mean, man's best friend, people's mm-hmm. best friend, they them's humanity's best friend. Best friend. Um, yes. Uh, so it references I Am Legend. It references uh, Zombieland. You have never seen Pacific Rim. I have seen Pacific Rim. You've seen Pacific Rim. Yeah, you made me watch it. I literally don't remember that. <laughs> it was really good. I really liked it. Charlie Hunnam is a delight. Okay. Yeah. I When was that? <laughs> I think it was like... I legit feel like I haven't seen that movie in years. It had to have been early, early COVID. Or, okay, yeah. Um, when we didn't have a lot going on. We didn't have a lot going on. I love Pacific Rim. This mm-hmm. I think Pacific Rim is like one of the clearest um, yeah, tie-ins absolutely. as well. Uh, it has a really strong tie-in to Doctor Who... Mm-hmm. Um, a really strong tie. Obviously, stand by me. It openly references, and then also Mission Impossible briefly. Yeah. So I do think that that's really fun because what I think it slightly does is trust you to understand that this, even though it is so, I guess out there. You know, I feel like nobody's tell nobody besides Pacific Rim. Not a lot of things are like, yeah, we're all going to die by the hands of megafauna. Mm-hmm. And even in Pacific Rim, it's aliens. Yeah. Um, it's sort of trusting you to be like, yeah, this is like the other things that you know and like. That's why you should just kind of buy into the idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm down with that, especially when it's this movie is and I, I don't mean this in a bad way. It's slightly shallow compared to some of the things it's referencing emotionally because it's not rated R. It can't do what Stand By Me is doing, mm-hmm. but it does sort of give. Uh, an audience who has that reference, that emotional framework to work through. I agree. Um, I think one of the, this is a frustration I often have in like horror films specifically where it's like people in horror films have never watched a horror film. That's Um, why Scream is great. Yeah. That's why Scream is fantastic. Um, And it's not like Joel is himself is specifically referencing all of these things but the movie is very aware that people who are watching it live in the real world and have seen movies and i think that that can be a real strength sometimes yes i i think in i think it's it goes both ways i do think that it's important to recognize that not only we live in the real world and people have seen movies but that there was a society that existed and flourished and understood these references prior to the asteroid or whatever well it's culture yeah yeah and you know when you are probably somebody who has been in a bunker and not seen a new movie or any movie in seven years Mm -hmm. you might do something and be like that felt pretty mission impossible to me yeah i love that tom cruise is the only person that like gets a name drop in this movie 
Well, I will say Stand By Me, I feel like it's yes. playing the song. You're mm-hmm. like, okay. But yeah, yeah, he is the actor with the name job. Mm-hmm. Which is just so funny. Which is funny. I, You know, I feel like I, would, I feel like there's a subset of like Hollywood it boys from like probably 90 to 2007 mm-hmm. who get those big name drops. Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. DiCaprio. Yeah. So yeah. Tom Cruise got that one. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair. Yeah. I will say, though, and this leads us into our discussion about what doesn't work. I often find references exhausting. I feel it's slightly obvious, and it feels like you're slightly capitalizing on the emotions that I feel about Stand By Me or Pacific Rim. Oh, totally. And I also think that it implies a certain amount of self-awareness in a movie that you then don't later go on to capitalize on. Or rather can drag you out of it. You're like, I'm kind mm-hmm. of existing in this world. Don't put me in a different one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little heavy handed. I think that's a criticism just kind of in general and not just from the uh, references. But that like it just it gets a little bit overwhelming, especially in the latter half of the movie where it's just like, OK, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I will say. And I think this goes is part and parcel. My biggest critique of this movie is how obvious it is. Oh, yeah. I remember watching it. You sort it. of know point. It, and it's not like I want to be tricked. I don't. I hate when somebody, like, takes the rug out from underneath me when I'm watching a movie being like, and then the main character dies. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to die, but only if you've set it up correctly. But everything about this movie is... And, again, the script is tight. That's why it's so obvious. But mm-hmm. it is... Slightly boring for somebody who can predict the ending. You know, when you second you meet Captain What's-His-Name, you're like, that guy sucks. Captain Cap. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Did I predict the crab? No, but I did predict that he was going to be good because I've seen The Beast Below, mm -hmm. the second episode of Matt Smith's first season of Doctor Who, which Which has the same plot. Which is so unbelievably good. It is amazing, but because I've Mm -hmm. seen that, and a lot of nerds who are watching this movie have seen that are going to be like, oh, I know this, right? Well, it's not, and it's not just that, but even like towards the beginning of the movie when he falls into the sand gobbler's nest, you're like, oh, well, he's about to be rescued yeah, by people who live on the outside. The kid is a surprise. The, the, yeah, the kid is a surprise, but we were both sitting there being like, oh, what movie is this? And we came up with a couple Mm-hmm. Like what it was there, referencing? Yeah, yeah. There are a few like, of them. Yeah. So, and you just expect like, oh, you're gonna you're gonna see some new characters pop up literally right now, and uh-huh. you can kind of guess like there are three or four archetypes that they might fall into. Um, like it's so it's so obvious. I remember that from watching it the first time. I was like, bad guy. And even sort of the dichotomy of like haggard old man, sassy child, naive young man mm-hmm. is like. We got it. Zombieland. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, any movie where there's, like, a kid and an old man is, like, kind of set up to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, I appreciate how uh, easy watching it is. You know? It goes down like water. Yes. But as somebody who specifically watches things both for easy watching and for like complex watching this is something that i feel like i wanted a little bit more complexity i wanted it to be slightly more challenging mm-hmm. it's rated pg-13 i think it could have stretched that rating a little bit farther i agree even just like thematically no i mm-hmm. i don't i don't mean yeah. that anybody sh- i don't mean that they needed to use their one f word mm-hmm. i do mean sort of emotionally like yeah 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 totally to um, dig in a little bit. We were talking about this as we were watching the movie that um, 
it's so hard to believe as an audience member that Joel's colony is genuinely sad about him leaving. Because we don't know anything about them. Yeah. And, and it's like they, they do so much to like try and, and tell us about that and they you know show this going goodbye this goodbye thing and there's a little map where they write these little notes to him but you know there's one flashback scene where Joel's parents get smushed in their car and he gets taken by faces that we kind of recognize as the people that are in his colony but that's it yeah and I would have loved like a them sort of getting to the their sort of you know the place where they're gonna set up camp and everyone being like, holy shit, we just lost everyone we've ever known. Like, I would have loved that. I, it, it's because it's seven years later, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. You don't get over the trauma of the apocalypse. No. We don't because <laughs> we're living through it right now currently. It was 65 degrees. It's yesterday. yesterday and it is Chicago. December in Chicago. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. It's funny, but it's so it's not so funny. It's so not funny at all. I'm terrified weirdly have you been reading all this stuff about how like we've basically all been gaslit into thinking that the weather has always been like this yeah but i remember that every december was freezing growing up in michigan well i feel like every time i watch a weather segment it would it'll be like oh it was 60 degrees on this date in 1946 and i'm like you mean a freak weather phenomenon and not something that just happens regularly now Ah, terrifying anyway what I'm saying is, is though I know time has passed, but I, I, I don't want to see, I don't want anybody moping, but I want to see where they've, st- where they started and where they got from, like where they're, where they are now and like what Joel has been through mm-hmm. to quite understand what it was that we know that he's lonely, but how long has he been lonely and what was it like at first? And was he trying, did he know that he, obviously he didn't know Amy was alive, but like he knows she's alive in this movie. So I do need a little bit more depth of that growth before I understand mm-hmm. why he he steps foot like everything is sort of set up to make you not ask questions but I <laughs> am nosy and picky and <laughs> tough and nosy and I'm gonna ask him yeah um what else doesn't work about this movie um you know uh I feel like we've kind of ranged all over on what's frustrated me about it mm-hmm. um i don't know if you had anything else that was on your list uh i, I talked about the cgi i oh. mean the budget on this movie was like 30 million dollars which is insane nothing for something like this and to think that they accomplished something that looks as good as it does on 30 million yeah is nuts but for anybody who doesn't understand and i think that this is something that a lot of people do not who aren't engaged in what basically like some of the big things about the film industry right now is basically like visual effects shops are like sweatshops and Mm -hmm. we outsource that labor. Like the film industry outsources that labor. It costs nothing to do it because we pay people nothing to do it. And that's why every big blockbuster in Hollywood right now is completely run on CGI instead of practical effect, which is how you get really ugly, big action movies that you Mm -hmm. can't see anything that happens. And, I understand looking at the budget, they did not have the budget for some of the practical effects. But when I think about how good this movie could have been with them, I sort of wish that that had been like what the studio allotted or like what producers were able to come up with, because I think it would have really benefited the way that I watched this movie. Case in point, because we've been talking about Zombieland so much, Zombieland's budget was $23 million. Was it really? Yeah. 
I will say they didn't have to make monsters. They just had to put people in makeup. Put zombies, yes. Um, I I think that there was a way to do it. Um, where and maybe maybe it just required like dimming the lights a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's just some of it. And I know, and I can kind of pick her pick like what. I don't think you could have done the crab practically. It's too high of an action mm-hmm. scene. But the boulder snail. I think the boulder snail could have been a practical effect. Yeah. I, well, and some of it clearly is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think there's so there's so much of it that could have been more tactile. In a movie that is already very tactile. I will also say, and some of this is reflected in the conversation we're just having. Some of this movie feels low stakes. Insane. Yes. Insane mm-hmm. for what the stakes technically are. I don't always feel like it, it sort of rare the moments where I feel like I'm in, in genuine danger. I absolutely agree with you. And I remember the first time that I watched this movie where in any time that Joel walked into like an abandoned home, I was waiting for something to happen. It felt like there was a real lack of tension I agree. I think it's, and that's fine because it's, it's again, like, I don't think this, this movie is particularly going for like making you sweat. It's sort Mm -hmm. of fluffy purposefully, but I could use a little bit more understanding. No, he mentioned something like, you know, it's pretty nice on the surface except for all the corpses, but I haven't seen any corpses. A dead body. Yeah. And again, like it's rated PG-13, but I can name a lot of PG-13 movies where you just like see a body, right? The amount of disgusting things we saw on Teen Wolf. <laughs> Teen Wolf technically has a slightly higher rating. What, what TV 14? I, I actually... I think that's like the... Just below. A, yeah, but it's not a mature rating. It's like TV 14, I think, is... Right below mature. Yeah. Yeah, but I, like, I think Teen Wolf has like a slightly higher rating than like what you see on the CW. Mm-hmm. Either that or it's just like network parameters because like it's it's MTV. MTV can do what they want. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this the other day uh in my office about like MTV unscripted stuff that we used to watch. Like MTV aired to date my mom. They could put whatever <laughs> they want to hit on. <laughs> Room Raiders was so fucked up. They could put whatever it's they true. wanted on Team Wolf. But yeah, like and I don't <laughs> Obviously, I am a huge proponent of young adult media and like have always been very invested in like the importance of quote unquote kitty lit in creating and developing media that meets kids at their develop- developmental level. But the premise of this movie and the audience it's geared at and the audience you're getting with Dylan O'Brien as your star is a little bit older than the stakes you're offering me. Yeah. That's one of my um, biggest frustrations with a lot of media. And it's not specific to this movie where audiences and particularly like things that are geared towards teenagers underestimate what their audience can handle and what their audience will get out of what they're producing. Yeah. This felt a little bit ABC family where it should have been more MTV a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and like I could have used, you know, one or two jump scares and there's moments where you're like, okay, I do feel like this would be scary, but those are often other referential moments like the frog in the pond. That is, very clearly a reference to Jumanji with mm-hmm. the like Venus flytrap in the fireplace, yeah. you know, and you know how that goes that like somebody, whatever cuts the thing and they make it out. Well, and that's, I think the problem with having one main character really mm-hmm. is that, you know, nothing bad is going to happen to him. Yeah. Um, 
and I like I don't need I don't need to see him cutting off his own arm like that that's a lot no you know? I watched 127 hours on an airplane terrible choice Christian why did you do that anyway <laughs> well it's like I tried to watch room on an airplane and I was like nope nope gonna no. have a panic attack <laughs> I tried to watch room regularly honestly you guys Brie Larson is amazing and congrats to her on that excellent performance but just read the book it's a lot easier <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. I don't need to be traumatized by no, stuff. No, but, but I, I would, would like, like to something. be. I would like to be slightly thrilled. Yeah, I would like to be drawn in. I would like to. I would like to wonder what's happening next. And I feel like both with the idea that this movie is slightly obvious, and with how diminished some of the stakes feel, because in and Teen Wolf has this problem too. It will sometimes play a moment of high stakes for a moment of comedy, and I'm like, I need a little bit more of one or the other to make them both more worth it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um. We've said that a lot. It either needs to be five times sadder or five times funnier. Yeah. It, it's well, it's, ge- it's generally needs to be five times sadder or ten times funnier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if this were five times sadder, it would still be as funny as it is. That's the kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And like, obviously, it's not going to not be funny. Dylan O'Brien has excellent timing. He's an excellent physical comedian. I think that his physical prowess is like one of the most interesting things about watching his acting performance. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of people like young people in Hollywood right now when I watch them and I can really feel that they're really uninhibited by their movement. Timmy Chalamet is one. Mm-hmm. He is so able to just like, and it's not like he's like, he has a very specific like sort of skinny boy body type, but he's mm-hmm. not like, he doesn't have to be a good mover to be uninhibited by moving. And then you watch a lot of young actors who sort of keep their elbows into their sides. Mm-hmm. And you're like, God, I wish you'd loosen up. And Dylan O'Brien is so loose. It's so fun. But yeah, I do think that making it slightly darker would not take away from the bright parts of this movie. In fact, it would complement them. It's like adding salt to a chocolate chip cookie. Nice. Thank you. A little bit of flaky salt. A little flaky salt. Yeah. yeah. Um... I also think that, like, we talked a little bit about this, and I think these go hand in hand. There's not enough depth to the emotional relationships made in this movie. Like, I would like to see a little bit more with Clyde and Minot. And there's also nothing, not a deep enough, like, sort of lore and, like, emotional relationship with the other people in um, Joel's colony. Yeah. I want to know more. I want to know. Which is They not keep saying names, and I don't have a face for the name. They're like, Ray, Karen. I'm like, who are these people? Who are they? I know the cow, Gertie. <laughs> and again, like, this is not me inviting this to be a two and a half hour movie. But I do think that some of the, you know, I'm on my way stuff could have been sacrificed for that kind of development. I agree. And I think, like... Just do the brother bear montage. <laughs> Tell everybody exactly. I'm on my way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, benefit that like Amy doesn't really fall into the manic pixie dream girl category because she very blatantly is like, Joel, I don't know why you're here. Yeah, he's she's like a- the <laughs> he manic pixie dream girls her and she's like, I have to take care of all these old people. Yeah. Yeah. Amy's kind of a girl boss in she, the good way. Yeah. Girl boss honorific. Um but I also wish that, like, we kind of knew a little bit more about her and what she had been up to. I don't yeah. need this to be a two-and-a-half-hour movie, but I feel like I am left wanting from a relational standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. It could be something that, like... I would say, though, adding ten minutes onto this movie, three extra scenes for background, wouldn't kill us. No. Wouldn't... Again, you this movie is really goes down really easy. You're entertained the whole time. I wouldn't think that that was a bad thing just to make it. And I again, 
I don't know what ended up on the cutting room floor. I said earlier I would love to see the screenplay of this movie as it moved into production. I have no idea what got cut, but I want to say a little bit more, okay? I do. Well, that just makes me wonder, like, what kind of risks they would have taken if they knew the market that they would have been releasing into. Because you had, like, you had no idea that this was going to be... A COVID movie. A COVID movie, direct-to-video, you know. Yeah. Do you want to talk about cultural legacy? Sure. I think, unfortunately, this movie was denied some of the legacy it would have... It, it er- would have earned, basically, mm-hmm. because it didn't get a theatrical release. It was all VOD. Um, it <laughs> was one of, actually, weirdly, many sort of pandemic-esque movies that were released at the time because nobody could have predicted that was going to happen. But both Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey ended up in pandemic, like apocalyptic type Mm -hmm. of movies during this time, which is funny. I have not seen Tyler Posey's movie. No, I think it's like a horror film. Oh, I think I could be, I could be wrong about that. It looks, I bet somebody on Twitter will tell us. I think it's a zombie thing though. I think he's with zombies. Interesting. Yeah. I don't love zombies. Zombieland excluded. It's no, Zombieland <laughs> is not about zombies. Zombieland is about the love of Twinkies and the, the friends we made along the way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's interesting the things that have been denied a cultural legacy. I think this is probably going to be something that becomes that gains cult status. At least I kind of hope for that. Well, I mean, I think we were talking about this earlier. Like there is like a demand for a sequel. I don't know if mm-hmm. it'll actually get produced. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to produce a sequel when you don't have the like when you can't actually make back your budget because mm-hmm. you released into a pandemic and a lot of movies ended up getting just like absolutely shafted. Some of my favorite movies got absolutely no theatrical release made absolutely nothing because of the pandemic, which sucks. It sucks, especially because I think some of the like revolutionizing of the film industry, the pandemic caused is shit that I don't agree with, like releasing stuff on VOD. I think mm-hmm. things, everything deserves a theatrical release if it can get one. Um, and I, you know, we can only sit here and speculate what it would have been like if it had been released. I assume it would have gotten like a fun summer release. It probably would have done pretty well. So long as it wasn't released when like a fucking Marvel movie or whatever wasn't being released alongside of it and probably would have done good things to get like, not even just like Dylan O'Brien's name in bigger lights, but everybody who worked on it. And it's like kind of a stinky poopy fact of the panini that it didn't get that it didn't get its due yeah I can just imagine like going to the movie theater on a really humid day and it's like really sticky and you go to see this movie and you come yeah. out and it's still bright outside and you're like god I had such a good time yeah like watching some silly movie. summer movie when you like a little bit go just for the air conditioning but you have a great time mm-hmm. and you're like your hands are sticky from the popcorn yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's what this movie deserves. Like, when your Diet Coke is just absolutely sweating, like, just mm-hmm. through the paper cup because of how hot it is outside. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's... I love a summer blockbuster. It's so fun. And this could really could have could have done well. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it was up for an Oscar. Yes. It was nominated for visual effects and lost to Tenet, a movie I did not see. But, but it's know, a Christopher Nolan movie. So they probably went upside down a lot. Yeah. I assume that's, like, his thing. Um, yeah. John David Washington was in that, right? Yeah, it's John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. Well, I can't believe I haven't seen it in that case. But um... I, I, it did not get great <laughs> reviews, and people have very strong feelings about both of them. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a sort of like... Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I'm glad that it got that kind of recognition because again, for the budget that they had, what they accomplished was phenomenal. Um, you know, and that's very cool to me. I think that it succeeds more in its production design than its visual effects. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, retroactive best actor Oscar for Dylan O'Brien. It's going to happen someday. One day. I would love to actually see. I don't actually think that Dylan O'Brien needs to be winning Best Actor at the Oscars. I would love to see Dylan O'Brien in like a long running, very prestigious TV show. I think he would kill it. You know, like Teen Wolf. No, but I mean like, where's his... Where's his succession? His succession, his Mad Men, his Breaking Bad, his like whatever, you know, you win Best Actor at the Emmys for. Yeah, Mm -hmm. give that to Dylan O'Brien. Especially because I mean, like he just, can handle it. He That's can, and we know that he's successful in a long in a long running show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like we have to play. Where are they now? <laughs> we know one. The main cast is four people and a dog, and yeah. two. Uh, even if we don't know what Dylan O'Brien is doing, people Y'all tweeted know. us to tell. <laughs> like I again, I feel sort of like a stinker being like I'm not following the career of the people in Teen Wolf not because I'm not interested or because I didn't appreciate their work it's just sort of like if it's not coming to me through my own channels but whatever but like yeah I mean I love seeing that Dylan O'Brien is so successful it was really fun seeing him do the Taylor Swift thing because weirdly would have thought weirdly weirdly I think that that probably opened up a whole new audience to Dylan O'Brien because Teen Wolf Mm -hmm. and we forget this is so niche. It's I mean, really insular. So yeah. yeah, like we're like because we just happens to be to be like queens of the Teen Wolf castle, like in our own stupid section of the yeah. internet. We're like everyone loves Teen Wolf. Like no. Well, what is so interesting about him being in that video is that she casts him in the Jake Gyllenhaal role. Uh-huh. Jake Gyllenhaal, who is so incredibly famous and was former so, Teen Heartthrob, yeah, so successful. Um, I think had already had like Oscar nominations at the point when that song was written about that time you know what i'm saying yes i yep exactly and i'm just hoping well he's in the new zoe dutch movie that's coming out and i do know that because of the tiktoks um yes and a gangster movie and i only know about that because i love gangster movies and i don't i don't know i don't know how i feel about that one i watched the trailer it looked like i'm not gonna watch it it, but i want good things yeah yeah um, I don't know. I feel like there is a singular actor where I'd be like, if he's in it, I'll see it. And it's Christian Bale. I've seen some stinkers for Christian Bale. I've seen a lot of bad stuff for Sebastian Stan. <laughs> Girl, Sebastian, you've got to pick better shit. It's I'm going to so stop handsome. watching eventually. He's not even just so handsome. I just think that he is a really compelling yeah. screen presence. The handsomeness helps, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't hurt. No, it doesn't hurt. To be hurt. certain. Yeah. There's like, there's a lot of, although, you know, it's funny, like, sometimes even my favorite actors will be in stuff, and I'll be like, Amy Adams, why did you pick this one? I, oh, you know, Amy Adams used to be one of those people where I'm like, I'll see anything that she's in, and I'm just like, honey, I will not. Uh, maybe, so ma- sorry. Maybe not that one. Yeah. Maybe not that one, because, mm-hmm. um, no. Who is somebody no. you'll still see anything in? Because now I'm like, it's funny. I like joke about the Sebastian Stan thing, but I, I mean, like, I haven't seen something bad he's been in in mm-hmm. forever because like, you get over it. But who's somebody who'd still be like, yeah, I'll go see them in something shitty? Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. I mean, that just like, that's just a given. Um, I, lo- I mean, I love Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. I've, I will forgive him for so many things. Um, 
But I also, I'm just like so interested in stuff that's coming out that I don't know anything about and that have people I'm not really, that I don't really know anything about. Yeah, I think we're sort of in the new, we're in like a new Hollywood star movement right now. Mm-hmm. The, the Florence Pugh's, the Timmy Chalamet's, the Zendaya's, the whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm way more excited for what they're going to turn out in the next five years than anybody who I used to stand because... Yeah. I know what those people can bring to the table. Well, and the, and that's the thing. Like, you'll go because they're consistent. I'm yeah. much more looking forward to seeing things that I'm shocked by. Yeah. And I, yeah, like Zendaya, I think is crazy freaking talented. Mm-hmm. I don't love Euphoria for a myriad of reasons, but, like, getting to see her do something that intense and that, that asked that much of her was great. And I'm waiting for Dylan O'Brien to do something that I see that asks something incredible of him, and I know that he can deliver. Mm-hmm. So... Now we have to give this movie a rating. Julia, what do you give? What's the grade? You know, from like a critical standpoint, I would give it a B plus. From like a, I really love Dylan O'Brien and I think that it accomplishes so, so much on so little. I'd give it an A minus. I'll give it an A minus. I think mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, I will mostly like, here's the thing. I do have the problems I listed with it, but also I think this movie accomplishes exactly what it's trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. If I thought it was trying to deliver on something way bigger and flopped, I'd be like, but it's a movie about giant bugs. You know, I, um, I think that Hollywood has kind of like a lack of meat and potatoes movies. <laughs> okay. Where, why did we all of a sudden stop making movies that were like, good like we they either have to be so horrible or like oscar bait we're just the good movies right um this is like my thing about ford v ferrari is like it's just a meat potatoes dad movie but that was an oscar movie i'm talking about like it doesn't but it didn't need to be like no it's just but fine. like where is the devil worth prada of our of like where this is it? decade the meat right and potatoes like a movie that like for one first and first mostly every retroactive oscar <laughs> for devil wears prada but i just watched it recently and i'm like nothing like that has come out and I do not know how long. Well, I think part of it is just that, like, they want to be doing serious, serious stuff. But, like, The Devil Wears Prada plays specifically to women. That's why we don't have a lot of rom-coms. Like, and I think that, ugh, what a fucking tragedy, the death of the American rom-com. Okay, wait, wait, wait. But the J-Lo Owen Wilson I cannot wait. that's coming out, I'm excited. Also, though, they've airbrushed Owen Wilson in a way that makes him look really weird in the trailer. I hope it doesn't look that weird and, um... I hope not, but Jesus Christ, whoever casts that movie is a genius. Genius. The only better casting would have maybe been, I don't know, Luke Wilson. (laughs) I would pre-order tickets for that movie. Yeah, so we'll see. I think we're in the return of the the rom-com. God, I fucking hope so. I think that about wraps it up. Mm-hmm. If you guys liked this episode, you guys can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I definitely recommend you do because we're going to be launching our pod- our new projects at the end of this month. Uh, that's at Teen Wolf underscore Real, which is, again, also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Real. Our Facebook group, still active, still talking about Teen Wolf. If you are here for the Teen Wolf, join the Facebook group. It's just Teen Wolf Real podcast. Answer the questions and I'll let you in. You have to answer them. Um, if you really, really like this podcast, you guys can, uh, give some money to our coffee. We're going to be doing our official donation to the charities we're donating to on Friday, but anything that you donate in December will be going, we'll do another donation before the new year. We're not keeping that. It's all for our community. Um, other than that, I've been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Uh, Woo!